I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey... Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. <laughs> All right, everybody. I've been looking forward to this one. I know you have too. Welcome to episode number 210 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, December the 30th, 2023. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank everybody who tuned in last week for our episode with Steve Ho, also known as at Mr. Fosh. We had a great episode. Check that out. Next Saturday, our guest is a collector of unopened wax packs and boxes. His name is Rex Morgart. Excited to have him on for a nice collector type of episode mc monday's live ebay auction coverage resumes two nights from today on new year's day evening that will also happen to be the 500th ever live stream on sports cards live join us monday for mc monday's live i'd like to ask you to join close to half a million people who have downloaded the center stage app across both ios and android for quick comps and card management features their app is the fastest and most accurate at card shows or at home to help you price your cards you can build organize and share your collection with your friends and find other collectors to follow using their social sharing features. Marketplace features are coming soon. So check out their Instagram account and join me in supporting the great team and the innovation they are undertaking. Also use protection, practice safe swaps. Veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you securely trade cards through the mail. Every transaction up to a million dollars is covered by their guarantee. Check them out on iOS and Android. Veriswap is now live in Canada. We'll be opening a Canadian hub soon. They're offering $50 in free trade credit to anybody who adds 10 hockey cards to their account. Join me and Veriswap founder Raymond Lee. We, we do a every second Tuesday Instagram live trade desk. They're a lot of fun. You come on and tell us who you think won the trade. Also shout out hobbynewsdaily.com. Check out their website for daily hobby information. Also Leighton Sheldon Just Collect will be joining us for the Vintage Spotlight shortly tonight. I want to thank all partners, sponsors, and of course, our loyal viewers and listeners for your ongoing support. If you're not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel or the podcast, please take a moment and do so. I want to wish everybody a very happy new year, happy holidays. And as always, your comments and your questions are in play. So let's get to it. Tonight's guest has been on several times. We don't need an intro. 
but you know him as the former CEO of Leaf Trading Cards. Let's bring him out, Mr. Brian Gray. Welcome back to the show, Brian. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jay Money. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm episode 210, which is half of 420, and I've been accused of being on drugs with my hobby attitude. So it all kind of makes sense in a, in a mathematical kind of everything makes sense in the world way. It's very weird to hear you say former CEO and owner and founder and all that stuff of the new leaf. It's it's a little surreal, but uh, right. it was my first interview since then. And I've had a bunch of people ask to talk to me and I wanted to take some time and just like absorb my exciting life changes. And I'm finally ready to talk and have fun and be a hobbyist again, which I'm getting to be for a little while, for at least a minute or two. I'm noticing I'm noticing that you're uh, you're really just flexing your hobby muscles on on the various social social uh platforms and uh it, it's nice to see brian you're no longer sort of tethered to a specific uh, to a card manufacturer we'll get into that uh let's get into a bunch of it right now you know i think the thing i'm most curious about brian is you know i'm wearing the shirt i'm wearing the brian i love shirt. it oh my god and i mean listen that's back when i had gray hair obviously i've got younger since i retired <laughs> but um but no i mean that that's one of my favorite cards ever and you know i don't even have a copy of it I'm going to have to go buy on eBay and buy a copy. I don't have a copy of my collection. So I got one right there. I'm going to go buy one on eBay when we hang up tonight. So I, I feel sad I don't have one, but I do have some of my new Santa Claus cards, which you, uh, if you go to my website, bigbridedeals.com, you'll see the new Santa packs where you can get the last ever leaf card of me. It's actually me as Santa. And you have to look carefully to see it. It's pretty well done. The, the artists were phenomenal, but um, they're autographed. So they're part of Pop Century also. So it's kind of fun. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's cool to see you in the shirt. I love it. it. makes me happy. Nice. Well, I'm wearing it for you, buddy. All right, listen, I want to get into Leaf. And really, my first question is, you've sold Leaf. You no longer are an owner. I don't even think you own a small percentage of it. Or do you? So what? what is the stat? What is your exact status relative to Leaf right now? And why did you decide to sell? Well, first, I, I have no equity ownership in Leaf. I could have kept a little piece, but it was time. It was time. I mean, listen, I, you know, I brought Leaf back from the dead. I started, I did Razor in 2008 and nine. I brought Leaf back from the dead in 2010. Probably one of my greatest achievements was buying the Leaf brand when it was sitting dormant, when Panini decided it wasn't worth paying for anymore, when they took over Donruss. And, you know, we built something, you know, and I, I feel like, you know, we did everything that I could have done. We took a brand that was dead we took a brand that was basically just baseball draft picks, airbrushed, and we turned it into something that every attempt to do the same thing had failed. And again, great teams at Press Pass. Sage is still around, but like people who tried to go the unlicensed route, even Classic with Ken Golden, you know, these companies that tried to go unlicensed, they all failed. They either went bankrupt, gave up, or, became, or stayed so small they were not really relevant in the marketplace. And we did it. You know, we built something phenomenal. We made, made we made, um, we made unlicensed or player licensed, I like to call it. We made it something mainstream, like metal baseball, metal football became like, they were treated like rookie cards instead of treated like just junk that, you know, that they kind of filled like a one month gap before the pro stuff came out. Um, so, so with that being said, we did something really special there. I feel like, that was my goal the whole time was to prove everyone wrong. Cause I was told by everybody. And I mean, hobby veterans told me that what I was taking on and what we were taking on uh, was just too much. It was not sustainable. There's no way we could be successful. Um, and the reality is 
we did. We were successful. I mean, I can't, I, I am restricted from some information I can't say, but I will tell you in 2022, Leaf made more money than you can imagine. It was mind blowing. I mean, it became a monster company, you know, with a lot of sales and a lot of profit. Um, so, so for me, it was really like, what else am I going to do? You know, I pretty much, I'd done a bunch of stuff. So I felt like there's nowhere else to go, nothing else to do. And the fact is, I paid a very high price for that success. I paid a very high price for that profit. I did a mea culpa type video on my on my YouTube channel where I basically just said, I made the business more important than my family for some number of years. I made it more important than anything. It was my whole life. The people at that building, I spent more time with than my family. I missed important things because I wanted to win. I wanted to make money no matter what it took. Um, you know, the reality is I paid too high a price. Yes, I made a bunch of money. I said, I'll enjoy retirement. Listen, the scoreboard doesn't lie. We've done pretty good. But it was just time. I couldn't do much more now. But what made it possible, and I, and I say this because I think I got a lot of attention for being Leaf. And that's just not the case. I was, I was definitely a spearheader or a visionary. But we had a team. I mean, Greg Cohen is probably the most talented product guy in the business, hands down. I, I would say he's number one. You know, Josh Pancat, who, who we brought on in the executive side of things, very strong. Um, I, Jim Kohler, our design guy, phenomenal. Head of production and design, phenomenal. CJ Breen, who we brought on as a, as a kid straight out of college, phenomenal in the, in the um, influencer and pop culture space. I mean, we had built a team that was so good that I could... I really could literally walk away and not sell the company. It would have been fine, which made me feel better that I wasn't selling a company that the minute I sold it, it's going to shit, going to crap, whatever. You know, I did not feel that way. I knew it would be successful still. So the timing was right. So now, you know, it just made sense. It's, it's, it's also fiscally responsible. The hobby had grown so much from 17 to 23. Like, if I don't take my chips off the table at some point, I think I'm irresponsible fiscally to my family. Like to my, I mean, again, I had enough money. It was fine anyway, but like, you know, I'm in a good position now. I'm really happy. You know, the scoreboard has been very kind to me. I'm not missing any meals, even though I am getting a little skinnier. I lost 50 pounds, you know, but, um, but you know, you know, you can't tell hardly because I kept the camera high, but, but you know, it's just, it's a great thing. Makes me very happy. And for the first time in my life, the business isn't telling me what to do because I had to live and breathe this business every minute of every day. And for the first, I can do whatever I want. If I don't want to do anything today, I won't do anything. If I want to go whatnot stream, I can go whatnot stream. If I want to go comment about things on Twitter with no holds barred, which is my new YouTube channel, I can say whatever I want. And I'm not speaking for Leaf. I'm not speaking for anyone else, just me. Let me ask you this, Brian. Let me ask you this. Because you can now say whatever you want, no holds barred. Over the past several years, you know, especially during the the pandemic with the proliferation of social media and all these interviews and coming on my show, I think this is probably your 10th time on now. You know, were you were you forcing yourself to hold back a lot of things? Like, is there anything that you that you held back along the way that you 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 can now talk about or anything that, that if you could talk about would do damage anywhere? Like how much stuff did you hold back over these past few years? Well, I mean, listen, I'm not one to mince words. And I always said what I meant, meant what I said. And I got a lot of heat for it. I mean, I saw people in chat here, um, guys like Mario Alejandro, who definitely is a critic of mine, you know, guys who don't like me or whatever, who over the years have made decisions that they're going to, you know, 
that they don't like my perceptions of the hobby, my opinions, my outgoingness, my arrogance that I might have had. And they're right in some ways. I was absolutely arrogant. I was absolutely cocky. Not because I'm that guy naturally, because, I mean, you know me off the air. I'm really not that. The reality is that's part of, like, the Vince McMahon. That's part of, like, and so I can be a different guy now. I can really be just true to me. And I'm not just saying in a controversial or, like, give hot sports opinions way. I'm saying, like, now I can tweet that I'm appalled at what's going on in Israel-Palestine. I can. You can't say things like that when you own a company. You can't give an opinion. You can't say, I think we need to include people in life and be more inclusive of people and not ostracize people because they're either poor, colored, or LGBTQ. You know, these are things you can't say when you own a company like Leaf, not because you can't have opinions, but because you get pigeonholed. It was bad enough when I made a Trump card or a Biden card sleeping at his desk, the hate email I got, or when I sued Andrew Luck, people said, you better not ever come to Indy ever again, you know? And sure enough, he didn't last that long anyway. But but it's like, I got enough, like, holding back, you know? And again, I just want to tell, I just want to be me. And you know what? If loving people, and, and that's a big part of what I'm doing in retirement, is I'm loving people. I'm supporting, I'm, I'm giving a ton of money to charities. I'm serving. I'm doing things that, like, now, um, mentorship, whatever it is, I'm doing things now that, like, the business never allowed me to do. And so like, I can be real. And so I think, yes, there's things that I'm holding that I probably held back because they're politically not correct for a CEO to talk about or an owner of a company, God forbid, you know, CEO is bad enough. The owner even worse. Um, I think I do know things that could hurt the industry because when you're an insider, you know, a lot of stuff. And I, I like, even when I put out my little videos where I'm kind of saying a few things, like giving teases, like I broke the news that P Fanatics had already signed the top three quarterbacks. Now, maybe Jaden Daniels is going to be in that top three. Maybe they only have three of the top four. But like, I broke the news that they had, they had signed all the players. Every year I knew what was happening before it happened. I just couldn't say it because, well, it wasn't my position to like throw my competitors under the bus. Now I just call it like I see it. Fanatics is. They got the three of the top four quarterbacks. You know, woo, you know, it's over. You know, I had a good idea what the WWE settlement was before it kind of, so, so we, we hear a lot of stuff. Sometimes our information's good, sometimes it's bad, but I know a lot of stuff from over the years from all the companies and a lot of it's not good. A lot of it's dirty and filthy. And it's just, I'm not here to try to ruin the industry or to, to try to create concern that the industry is not a good place to be. I'm most concerned with, I want to be a hobbyist again. Someone said that in the chat. Like, I just want to be a hobbyist again. And now I don't know how long that'll last because obviously things are boiling now that people know that I'm, you know, not, not involved with Leaf in any capacity anymore. There's obviously things brewing in the background that, you know, I'm retired today, you know. But uh, so we'll see what happens. But, but right now it's so fun just to be a hobbyist. I'm buying cards because I love them. I'm doing a bunch of non buying a bunch of non sport cards because I love it. I think it's so undervalued compared to everything else. I just think it's insanely undervalued. So I was like, I just do whatever I want. It's kind of fun. So now that you're now that you're not with Leaf anymore, and you know when you are with Leaf, when you're running a, a trading card company or any big company in our industry, and I'll you know I'll include Leaf in that in that group of you know big uh, players within the space. 
you know, I think people might treat you one way, you know, yesterday and another way today. Have you learned anything about people? Any oh, even people who are your friends since you've left the company, since you've sold, have you been disappointed by anybody? Have you been pleasantly surprised by anybody? I would say 80% disappointment because I figured out that, you know, I had friends in different parts of the industry that were my friends primarily because of what I could do for them. They wanted deals. They wanted to make money. They wanted, you know, so again, this is no different. I mean, Donald Trump probably gets more calls when he's president than when he's out. Like all those people that were calling him, like to talk to him, like, and I'm not Donald Trump. I don't want to be, but, but I mean, anyone who's in a position where they have influence or power or the ability to impact people positively, they call, you know, they call easily. Um, I think it's, you know, a lot of people don't call anymore and that's okay. I mean, it's part of life, you know, um, people, some people I work with, some of them I don't talk to anymore. And it's not, it's not that they're bad people or anything. It's just, we don't have anything else in common besides that I was the boss. Yeah. I'm sure some of them hate me. You know, I'm sure some of them love me. I'm sure, you know, but it's like anything. I can't, at the end of the day, it's not about any of that. I did a video calling my employees at, to the table and saying, listen, these guys are great. Give them a chance. They're good. Because I wanted to give them a parting goodbye that was the right kind. That was, they're great guys. They're very talented. They're very whatever. And I wanted people to know that. And I wanted them to know that, that even though I may not be hanging out at the office or talking to them, today or ever, or uh, this week or whatever it is, depending who the employee is, doesn't mean I'm not rooting for them. I want them to do great. Even if I end up not being in retirement forever, I still want them to do great. You know? All right. Yeah, no, you're dropping, you're dropping. There's a lot of disappointment. I will say I do have a lot of disappointment because there's people I consider my very best friends who just, you know, who just aren't present like they were. But then that 20% have blown me away because there are guys that called me right after I did this and said, I just want you to know you can do nothing for me, but I love you. Yeah. And now we can have a different kind of relationship because now, you know, it's completely legit. And, and I was like, you're right. This is legit. So the people who are my friends now more than ever, I'm spending tons of time with, I'm investing in them. You know, I'm giving them advice when they need it or ask for it. I mean, I'm just, it's different. It, and, but again, I would give that as a cautionary tale to everybody. Believe half of what you, believe nothing what you hear and half of what you see. Because again, this happens to people all the time. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You work somewhere for 40 years, you get to watch when when you leave, and you never hear from these people again. It's kind of like high school. You think these guys are going to be your friends your whole life and they're not there. You know, the hobby's been that way a little bit, but I'm still around. And so now it's a different group of people who are becoming engaged with me. Because now it's about a love of the hobby or other things. You know, it's different. It's just different. It's not what can Leaf do for them or what can BG do for them. It's something else. Yeah. 
I hear you. Okay, let's. I wish let's I had the answer. Like everybody, it's it's better than ever. All my relationships are great. No, you go with the real answer. It doesn't work that way, and I want people to hear this because other people are going to retire someday, and it's not going to be the same. I mean, I do have people to leave I haven't spoken to since you know I left, but I also have people that I'm great friends with. There, they're all. I mean, it's they're great people. It doesn't change anything. It's just they're busy as hell. I'm busy doing whatever I'm doing. So it's just things are going to change, but. It's all good. I don't have hatred for anyone except for a couple of people who are mean to me out there. And I don't even have hatred for them. I just laugh sometimes. You know, I think it's funny. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be able to laugh at some of the stuff, especially when you're public like you're like yourself. All right. Let's take a minute, Brian. Let's go to the let's go to the comments. I want to whip through these. And don't be scared to put the ones that are mean up there too. I got them. I got them. First of all, I don't like one thing about me is let me let me go. Let me go. I got you. I got you. All right. Justin Bode. Wanted you to wear your salmon-colored polo tonight, guys. Sorry. He's wearing green. Don't be disappointed. Mike Double V, happy Saturday. Jerry Petrie says Brian Gray is a legend. He certainly is, maybe maybe in his own mind, but also in many of our minds as well. Maybe. Jake Dahl, happy weekend to you, buddy. Todd McDonald, happy New Year. Says, always a great show, and BG is on. Jeremy M, happy holidays. Albert Jones, Skeppy in the house. Al G, Jeff McMahon is looking forward to it. Jerry Petrie. Likes the center stage app. Very cool. Studio Sports. Got to show us that Pro Set t-shirt. There it is. Brian Gray, super CEO. Good evening, Royals. Good to see you, Alan Terwell. Nice to see you, buddy. Andrew Gogan, happy new year. Happy new year, JP. Robert Scott, happy new year to you. Al Al is wearing his super CEO shirt right now to Brian. Jerry Hotch, good evening to you. Okay, Dan Brown says, I'm not really a fan of BG. It seems a lot of what he does are sad, cheap tricks to make a quick buck. His last two tweets of cards just seem desperate attempts for attention to make a quick buck. To which Mario, who I'm trying to get on the show, Mario, if you're there, let's keep those conversations going, uh, says, agree, Daniel. So, Brian, I'm going to pause here and um, let you kind of address the comment that Daniel makes about, you know, are you... Are you trying to make a quick buck when you're putting out some cards or is there a, a different purpose? Please. Okay. First off, I mean, I'll only say, I can't say how much we sold Leaf for, but it's more than anyone here would ever guess. If you all guess numbers, not one person here would be close. It'd probably be higher than any of you think. So I don't really need any money just to say. I tweeted out a couple of cards that were AI generated because I want to get people's opinion of, and it, it kind of is a like Leaf reimagined, except I'm thinking about taking it a step further. And so I'm considering making limited runs of just 25 copies of a bunch of crazy AI-generated things. Basically things that will never occur in real life but could only happen on trading cards with AI. Like Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey's wedding, which has not happened. Or Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump making out. Like like kissing cousins or something. I mean, again, I'm not making a comment on what I believe or like, but I'm just saying we can do crazy stuff that's never happened before. So. Daniel here does not like that. He thinks I'm trying a get-rich-quick scheme by making a bunch of cards. So I did the math real quick in my head. I'm going to make 25 cards that I'm going to sell for $19.99. That's $500. Okay? So let's say I make 1,000 cards this year and I make half a million dollars. Um, I'm giving more to charity than half a million dollars this year. So trust me, and I'm not making thousands of cards where I'm making $500. My point is, if I wanted to ring the register, I'd sell 50,000 of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. I'd advertise it everywhere. I'm going to make 25 cards and I'll be gone in 10 seconds. Whoever trusts me and buys them will make a bunch of money. Whoever doesn't, doesn't. 
So again, they said this at Leaf too, though. When we made a bunch of these web exclusive cards, people were like, you know, oh, that's just a cash grab. That's just this. No, you can say that. You know what? The cash grab is making a gazillion cases of something with 498,000 parallels to try to make the licensing guarantee with the manufacturers, with the licensees. That's a cash grab. A cash grab isn't making the Pete Weber card where he inscribed, who do you think you are? I am. Or making uh, Libby Dunn's first card. Or making um, the reimagined card where Nikola Tesla is standing with his arm on a Tesla, which could never have happened because there weren't even cars back then. Or having uh, the Pope dribbling a basketball through the Vatican lobby. Or having Lionel Messi in an Italian church with a thousand World Cup trophies there instead of pews. Like, these were not get-rich-quick schemes. They were trying to create something out-of-the-box, different, unique, you know, anime nation. Those cards are awesome. We've done some really cool cards there. And the vision there was we saw what other people were doing with manga and things like that. We were like, that's so one-dimensional. Non, It doesn't take it to the next level. And that's what Anime Nation did. It was truly cool, creative, artistic, you know, cool stuff. So... Like, again, people like Daniel here, who I did not block on Twitter, despite the fact I probably should have because he got abusive, actually. But but again, I don't block. Leaf does block people. I don't block people um, because, again, he can say whatever he wants. I just ignore him. Um, I don't ignore him. I actually read it and then say, that's stupid. And then I move on. But the reality is there's going to be people who don't like certain stuff, and that's okay. But if you do think that I'm sweating desperation or you think that I'm – desperate to make a few dollars off of 25 Taylor Swift cards. You can rest assured that my sale of leaf will keep me comfortable for at least a little while. Wouldn't you think I'll be okay. I, th- I was okay before. Now I'm really, really, really okay. I'm sure so you're all- fine. I'm sure you're fine. Let's go to this comment here. Cardboard Mario, Mar- Mario Alejandro, because who was the Mario a, I'm pretty sure that's him the comment in. Yeah. First off, Mario hasn't been a fan of mine for a long time. He said it, he'll tell you he likes a few leaf cards, but like that's just like saying, you know, when people say you're a racist, you go, oh no, no, I know the Jeffersons. It's okay. You know, no, that's not the same. Carol O'Connor, you know, Archie Bunker was a racist, even though he knew the Jeffersons. So you can say you liked a couple of things I made. That doesn't make you a fan. But the reality was, you know, he's done a really good job breaking some news on Twitter recently and doing a pretty good job. And like I like to read his stuff because it's like he talks about Pacific. And he talks about like cards of the past that he really liked. And like, I'm a hobbyist. So like, I actually like the, the nerdy card stuff like that. So I'm actually a fan of some of the stuff he writes. The problem is, and you saw this with other people too, in the heat of the business, you honestly get way more views trashing a controversial figure like me than you do saying, you know what? BG did some amazing things in the hobby. You're going to get like six likes on that post. But when you talk crap about me, you're going to get like 300 because it's fun, you know? Yeah. It's All right, fun. let's let's keep let's keep running. Layton's going to join us in about five minutes for vintage spotlight right. segment. That's about a ten to twelve minute segment during the show, and then and then after that we'll be back with you. But first of all, I want to say hi to Michael Ham, Foul Five Ball D Nick says Brian was one of the nicest and real people I've ever met personally uh, in person. That's nice, uh, nice comment, D Nick. Chris C, Brian, do you feel we're in a new junk wax era, or is just being printed more across more or is it just being more printed across more brands i'll keep it, I'll keep it short i'll keep it short yeah, yeah. we're not in a new junk wax era we are probably in an era where products are over are, are too expensive in the marketplace some of it is things manufacturers can't control like players wanting more money than ever 
but some of it is also, you know, the secondary market prices going crazy, breaks and all these things, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of reasons why products. So I think it's more pro, uh, the products are not priced correctly versus there's too much. Cause even though there's a lot, you don't know junk. I mean, junk wax. Like if I told you, here's a, I'll tell you one story. I was going to release this in my book, which I'm working on, but um, we, I got a call one time from upper deck and I'll keep it really short. And they asked us to fly to LA. So me and uh, John Klasnick, who owned Edgeman, we flew to LA. They made us sign a non, uh, non-disclosure, which was good for 20 years, which that time frame has now passed. And they had a closeout on 01 Golf. 20,000 cases of SP Authentic. The one that's worth like 60,000 a case or 30,000 a case. They had 20,000 cases of SP Authentic and 200,000 cases of Upper Deck Golf. 200,000 cases. That didn't even include rack packs. That was just hobby and retail. So like the numbers you think, we're not in a junk wax era. And that wasn't even the junk wax era. That was the kind of junk wax era. 20,000 cases of SP Authentic. I bought 20,000 boxes of 056 Upper Deck Rookie Update Hockey from Upper Deck with Crosby at the end of that year. David Adams bought 20,000 boxes of Upper Deck Ice Hockey from 056. So like, simmer down. We're not even close to a junk wax era. Now, the problem is every player's got 1,000 rookie cards. The products are overpriced. There's a whole other set of problems that we've got to figure out. But I don't think it's that we're in a new junk wax era. I think we're in a very dysfunctional market in other ways. All right. Daniel Brown says, when you threw your employees under the bus after the Zelensky-Putin card release, I lost all respect. Do you, uh, you want to speak to that? Yeah, I came up with the idea for that. A card of Zelensky and Putin, uh, Putin boxing. Because I think that's a pretty creative card. It's There's a battle. There's a battle. And it, it really is. It's like Zuckerberg. And, I did the same thing with Zuckerberg and Musk. Um, we decided to pull the card. But we had already we'd done a scheduled tweet and it came out. And we immediately killed it because it was in bad taste. That was in bad taste. But... Again, we have to throw ideas out there and try things that are out of the box. And it's just, this is one where I, and again, everyone agreed it was a good idea. Then at the last second we bailed and then poof. You know, it was a bad idea. It it should probably not, I I don't feel bad about it. I would have made it if all things had been said, but the team was- but it did you throw did you throw anyone on your team under the bus? I don't know what Daniel's talking about, unless it was just that it got listed when it wasn't supposed to, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the buck stops here. Or it just stopped here. It doesn't stop here anymore. But when I was the owner and the CEO, like it's on me no matter what. Yeah. And you can talk any crap you want about me, but the reality is, I'll take it. I'll all take right. all of, just like geez, I'll take it all. Just put it on me. Because it's all my fault. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm the boss. Yeah. That's why I'm so happy not to be in the boat I was in because now I don't have to hear any of this crap anymore. If they do great, super, they deserve it all. If they do terrible, I'm sorry. They're going to get it all. My legacy is over at Leaf. The fact was this hobby was never my legacy. I That was one of my faults is I made this hobby my legacy. And my legacy was me as a dad and a husband and the hobby and a friend and a mentor and a whatever. And that's part of why I've had to take this look at my life and say, what the hell am I doing killing myself working? All right, let's let's uh, let's say hello to Hobby Champs. 
And uh, finally, Justin Bode says he just watched the first time you're on oh, Sports God. Cards Live, episode nine, Brian. That's almost four years ago. I bet my hair was gray as heck back then. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to say, I, I like I like the older looking Brian over this uh, this new young buff looking dude we're, we, oh, we're sitting with right now. Look at you. I was looking old and I wasn't exactly a picture of fitness. I'm still not, but I'm on my way. I, another, I figure someday I'm going to weigh like 130 pounds. I'm just probably going to be laying in a casket when it happens. That's the bad well, thing. It's good that you're taking care of yourself. Brody the Kid, what's going on? Good to see you, Brody. Brody. Lapper, good evening to you as well. All right. We're gonna bring uh, we're gonna bring Leighton on for the vintage spotlight segment. Everybody, Leighton comes on with me every Saturday night at about the half hour mark, and we talk vintage. And I always ask my guests to come with a question for Leighton, and Leighton to come with a, a question or a topic for the guest. So let's bring him on, Leighton. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year to you. You guys know. I'm guessing you guys know each other. Is that right? I do, Brian. You look great, yeah, buddy. How you doing, my friend? Good. Happy New Year. Thanks. Same to you, partner. Same to you. Good stuff. All right. So let me ask you this then, Brian. Did you do you have anything vintage wise that you'd like to pass by? Leighton, get some expertise. I listen not to take away from your own, but anything you uh, on your mind that that we could spark a conversation with Leighton about? Well, I think I think the two things that come to mind with vintage, because again, I've always been a supporter that just because a card doesn't shine doesn't mean it doesn't shine. You know, uh, and so many people are caught up in, you know, the brand new shiny stuff. They forget about the classic era of cards. But I think, um, you know, it's funny. I've been looking at some of these indexes on some of these uh, data uh, information consolidation sites. And it is amazing how well vintage is, is holding up currently compared to most of the new stuff that's getting whacked. So obviously, I mean, I'm sure Leighton's experiencing the, uh, the, 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 the excitement about having some place that feels like a safe haven. You know, but what I told Jeremy earlier is I really now my number one, what I would say my number one buy in the hobby and half of it's vintage and half of it is new stuff that people are missing out on is non-sports. Because like I look at like 54 Bowman, 54 presidents, 54, you know, top Bowman U.S. presidents. And I'm looking at like Abraham Lincoln is a $30 card. And like in 54 tops out, I mean, not out, okay, that's a rookie K-line, but like Billy Martin's $30. Like he's a spare common type guy in 54. And you're telling me that Abraham Lincoln or George Washington is a $30 card. You're out of your flipping mind, you know? And that goes, I think it's all over the place. It's not just that one set. I mean, it's the, it's the 62 Kennedy stuff. It's and getting away from presidents. It's a uh, horrors of war. And it's like, all this stuff is so cheap compared to the sports counterparts. Like I've been feasting. Like I'm buying so much stuff. And I'm getting so many cards graded. Like I've done thousands of cards with SGC recently, all non-sports. Because it's just, I just see a huge gap there. And again, I know you're a lot of sports, but what do you think on that piece of the puzzle? Because if I had to name a number one buy in the hobby, it's a combination of vintage non-sports and the biggest celebrities in the world, their first ever cards. So kind of what do you think on that front, Layden? Uh, well, Brian, I appreciate you bringing it up. And I happen to love vintage non-sports. For those that are, you know, listening out here, whether it be live or later on, Brian, you bring up some really great points, but I wanted to point this out to everyone. So in terms of production, right, because there's not a lot of statistics from way back in the 1910s, 20s, and 30s, they're doing Horace War cards, fast forward to the 50s and 60s, they're doing Batman, Gilligan's Island, and President's cards. But I think the one thing that everyone can agree on is that of the major four, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, and then non-sports, once again, non-sports being all-encompassing, like I just described, 
they absolutely produced the least amount of non-sport cards vintage from those eras because there just wasn't the demand that there was for the respective sports at the time. So if you fast forward to today, Bri, you see a lot of interesting things happening in cards. Of course, some of it happening from Leaf in the modern market. But in general, people are going after Jay-Z cards. You're talking about celebrities' first cards. So some of the things you're bringing up about vintage non-sport cards are great points. But consider, though, that the world is vast. So in other words, do you value presidents? Do you value landmarks? Do you value good art like Mars Attacks? Do you value superheroes like Batman? So my point is, Bri, I do love that it's non-sports, but if you get caught up in the macro, it's a little overwhelming because you can collect cats and birds. I'll be honest, man. Mm -hmm. I don't like cats. I don't like birds. I don't need <laughs> cards of them. Thanks for laughing. But, uh, you know, the joking aside, I really do like vintage non-sports. And I think if nothing else, just collect what you like, as you're saying, Bri, even if you never sell a card. I, I was watching some of your earlier chat with Jeremy, you clearly don't have to buy these and then resell them after what you did with Leaf. So once again, congrats. But Thanks. the point being, these are really fun things. Like, it's awesome that you can buy an Abe Lincoln for 30 bucks versus whether it be Billy Martin for 30 bucks. We're to be honest, buying a $30 blaster box and certainly not get anything comparable to the, the, the visual art that's as appealing as some of the vintage non-sports that's out there. So I love vintage non-sport cards. I love that stuff too. Absolutely love it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Leighton, anything uh, that you had on your mind to talk to Brian about now that, uh, you know, maybe I, I'm, I'm guessing perhaps the first time you've really talked to him since he sold the company? Yeah. So, you know, Brian, I'm just curious, putting aside all the other noise, right? You don't own Leaf. You know, you can clearly see you still love the hobby. What do you like either the most or do you have to get the most enjoyment of um, or, or out of in the hobby whether it be it's currently, whether it be previous when you were, you know, uh, at the head of Leaf or even prior to that. I'm just curious for you yourself. What, what do you actually enjoy about the hobby? I mean, honestly, I like I like trying to outsmart the market a little bit, you know, because, I mean, again, you have to remember, like in 1989 or 90, you know, I bought from Rotman like all the misrap 89 score football because I saw that there was a I worked at Pro Set in 1990. I knew the numbers like. 1989-90, you know, late 89, early 90, I knew the numbers. Like, score was way tougher. I knew that. So when Rotman had miswraps and the stuff was starting to go up, I bought tons. I opened tons. I spec on tons. So, like, for me, it's always it's always been trying to find places that are underappreciated, being a zigger while they zag, and, and to some extent, looking at out-of-favor areas and trying to find unique things in those out-of-favor areas. Now, what do I collect? Way less in cards than I do memorabilia. I mean, you look behind me, I got I have awesome memorabilia because to me, some of them I got in person, some of it was gifts, and some of it is just incredible stuff I bought. You know, I think the memorabilia is, is probably a little more up my alley. Incredible autograph stuff, uh, awards, Oscar, you know, crazy stuff that's just one of a kind, unique things. But but on the card front, like right now, I'm really getting a lot on hunt sports. I really am. And again, I see people in chat say things like, well, all these things are outdated, no one appreciates them anymore. 
not even that. Like I just bought, I probably bought 50,000 bucks worth of top Trump's cards. These are cards that came out in England over the last 30 years. And they're relatively small production, but like they have the first ever cards of Taylor Swift, Billie Eilish, you know, uh, all these people that are like incredible pop culture phenomenon. And I bought up on eBay everything forever. And now it's starting to go up because people are like, hold on, where'd all these cards go? You know, Beyonce's first card. And so going to what you said earlier about how things appeal to certain groups, these pop culture icons, like Michael Jackson or who, I mean, even though he's tainted, but, but like these people are so much bigger than, you know, the Rangers winning the World Series. Like, I mean, that's nothing. That's like a P compared to Taylor Swift. That's a P compared to Bieber. A B, you know, these are little peanuts compared to anything meaningful, like worldwide. I mean, Ali is like people like that were worldwide. But like in the modern era, a few NBA guys, a couple of baseball players, maybe soccer players are pretty much your best bet. But so to me, I just think this non-sports stuff is I'm enjoying it because I think the market doesn't see any value there. And they're just wrong. I don't think you go by leave it to Bieber, even though it was very rare from Pacific. You know, that was a very rare non-sport set. That's like one of the toughest. People Man, bro, I got to tell you, I have respect for you. You're definitely doing your due diligence. People don't even know how rare was. Pacific Leave It to Beaver was impossible. It but was. the beauty is, I stay away from that, but like I'm buying cards of Beyonce and Rihanna. And, and that's why I love Pop Century when I was at Leaf, because I could be that early. I was the first Kim Kardashian autograph. I'm the first autograph. Of, you look how many people I had first autographs of. Joe Pesci, we had him to sign. I mean, that's unheard of. The guy won't even sign his, he won't sign anything. It's all secretarial, everything he's ever done. So like we've done some amazing stuff there. And so I've always loved the category, but I just, that's where I'm getting joy, like buying stuff for me right now is I just see the, the non-sport thing as being so underappreciated. But, you know, I have fun watching you guys like with vintage break stuff and with, I, I just think it's cool to see someone still trying to, you know, do things in the marketplace to not just succumb to brand new shiny stuff. Yeah. It makes me happy because that's why we're here, right? Yep. Right on. All right. Good. No, good. Good conversation, guys. I appreciate it. Leighton, you just had your 50th episode of your Trading Card Therapy podcast. I want to invite everybody to check out Leighton's podcast, Trading Card Therapy. Follow Leighton on Instagram, Leighton underscore Sheldon, just underscore collect Leighton, anything you'd like to let everybody know about uh before you uh you head off and uh and, and i want to wish you a happy new year man it's uh tomorrow's new year's eve so hopefully you have something nice planned yeah thanks well you know i really appreciate uh our journey this year jeremy it's been a lot of fun some amazing guests of course including yourself Bry. uh you know really it it provides uh a great place to talk about the hobby but you know Bry, i don't candidly usually watch like the first 25 minutes of the show but i kind of ran out of time you know, yeah, Jeremy's like, oh, my God, late. You're just not supposed to say that. Um, but, Brian, I was actually almost late for today's show because I was watching you talk to Jeremy. Really, kudos to your retirement. And, and honestly, you sound like you, your, your self-awareness has gone way up. And, you know, through that journey, you're going to find some things out, like you were describing, that are going to be awesome. You're going to find some things out through your journey that maybe aren't as awesome. Um, but really kudos to you and your retirement. And the one thing I want to uh, address, because I was asking you about, you know, what you love in the hobby. And for me personally, there's a lot of things I love in the hobby. I love what Brian was saying. I like zigging when everyone's zagging. I think that's cool. But man, ever since I was a really a little kid and I went to like my first museum, like Museum of Natural History, 
I've always thought about my stuff, not so much like my inventory for my companies, but as my collection, as my own museum. And I get to be the curator of it. And I, my mother doesn't tell me what to do. Now, you know, I'm growing up, so thankfully she stopped doing that. But my point is, Jeremy doesn't get to tell me what to do. The naysayers don't get to tell me what to do, Bri. And there is no right or wrong. And to me, that's one of the most joyous things about the hobby. And truth be told, I hope my son embraces it. But if he continues along like the gaming aspect of things, you bet your bottom dollar I'm going to support it. And, and so the point is, find your, find your, your path uh, and what you're passionate about. And I just think it's going to be a lot more fun, whether it be it's the hobby or some other place. So with that, I want to wish everyone a happy new year. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Thank, thanks. I just want to say, you know, Layton, you've been, you've given back. You, you did some nice giveaways on your podcast. You did a nice giveaway here on Sports Cards Live last Saturday. You gave away two, two $250 gift cards for your eBay store. Brian here is talking about, you know, giving money to charity and a lot of it. Uh, I just want to say thank you guys for giving back and, uh, and trying to, you know, pay it forward a little bit. I think it's wonderful from both of you. But Layton, happy new year. It was a great year. We'll talk soon. We'll see you next Saturday. Have a great New Year's Eve. Take it easy, guys. Be good, Layton. Have a good year. All right, Brian. We're going to pick up where we left off. Some more comments here. Diamond Dog says, I respect to Leaf. I've always felt like the card quality and artwork was outstanding. Lacking the licensing. Y'all definitely made up for it. And really awesome looking cards. Spot on for the price, too. There you go. Some nice feedback there. Good evening to the professor. Uh, I brought this one up earlier. We couldn't get to it. Cardboard Prophet says, let's get into the important stuff. Was the 23 Leaf Inscriptions Peter Weber, who do you think you are? I am card, Brian's idea. That's one of the greatest cards ever made and one of my favorite PC cards. Uh, you want to speak to the Peter Weber card at all, Brian? I wish I could take credit, but it's CJ Breen at Leaf. He, he came up with it. It's genius. I mean, again, and that's what that's one of the things I'm most proud of, honestly, at Leaf, was we built a team that was great guys, came out of nowhere. This guy had no card experience at all. We found a guy that was out of college but was ready to learn. And I hope I helped teach him some things about the card business. But he brought a pretty good sense of what's pop culture. He brought a good sense of that. And they, you see they've gone crazy with influencers because of what he knows. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's pretty – I can't take credit. And, again, I, I, you know, everyone likes to give me credit for everything, which I love, but it's not true. It's, it's a, his idea completely. Diamond Dog here says, heaven forbid anyone make money for their time and energy put into something. If people don't like, they don't buy the, if people don't like it, they don't have to buy a collector speak with the wallets. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely truth right there. Hobby Champs wants to know, how is Brian designing and producing cards on his own and what branding are they being released under? I haven't released anything yet on my own. Um, the only things I've sold really have been like, you know, you'll see like uh, the Santa Claus cards. Those were old Leaf cards, that and the Brian Spielberg cards of me that are out there. Um, I do have a brand that I've that I've that I've uh, started the process with of doing what I'm going to do with it. I don't know what I'm going to do because things are changing briskly. The plan was to make repack items because, again, you know, I am I will take credit as the father of the modern trading card repack. Not to say I've been in all repacks, but the modern trading card repack that has become so dominant in the marketplace like people like backyard I'm, i got them on another screen here at my house that's all they have on the screen is repacks there's not even a new box of cards on there every bit of it is repacks and i went on bleacher every box was repacks so like it's becoming an important part of the hobby you know i think i can do that 
now that I have no overhead, it's just me. I have no employees. I think I can do that in a phenomenal value-driven way, which is the way it should have been done all along. And we were at Leaf. We did it as almost a nonprofit type item. We did not make money on that hardly because it just costs so much money to play that game. So you have to put out so much cash to margins. If the margins aren't raised or thin, people get a horrible experience. So like I plan on doing that, but then I also had a plan to make some new cards, just stuff I want to make, right. like some of the AI stuff. Maybe I, uh, Brian. I saw somebody on Twitter X say you're not the you weren't the inventor of the repack product. You're that's just your ego talking or something. What what, what are they? What's the story the there? Who is the inventor of the modern repack? I want to hear when someone thinks that started, and then I'll tell you when it really started. What do you know? What do you know about repacks, Jeremy? Do you have any idea? Honestly, I didn't know about them until you had you had back in maybe the, until back. you maybe in Brian. I, I listen. All, the first memory I have is you coming up to my booth at the 2013 or 12 National in Cleveland and buying like like a stack of cards from me. And I was like, what are you going to what do you what are you doing with these? And you told me you're going to put them in a product. And I was like, oh, that that sounds neat. I, I was just happy to get a big sale with, with you. That That's already 10 years ago. So that's listen, I'm just telling you my my experience, my recollection. That's my earliest memory of it. Maybe it started before, and then I know Upper Deck did a buybacks product, and they 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 bought back Opeachy cards and put them into packs. But that was different; those were hits. So that's that's what I remember. So, so here's what I will tell you: if you want to say the first person to ever make a repack, no, um, you had companies like TriStar were packaging world's greatest card chase in the mid 2000s, but they took a bunch of junk cards, threw it in a box, and one box had a Wagner, and every other box was just a bunch of junk 88 tops cards, you know? Um, so yes, people had put cards. There had been grab bags of shows for years, obviously. You know, so people put cards in boxes. What I created in 2009, the first one was in 2009 for the historians. I don't just say this because I want to be famous. You know, um, I want to be famous for doing something that some people think is a horrible thing in the hobby, but like Alfred Nobel, I'll take credit for it either way. Dynamite, you know, is the, in 2009, Razor Rookie Retro was the first ever pure one card per pack repack item. We put out a checklist that was 25 pages long of every card that came in the box possible. We listed every card and every grade that was possible. And we came out with our first repack in 2009. So that was 14 years ago. So that was back before Leaf even came back in the marketplace in 2010. So I think the modern repack as we know it, one card per pack that has a value somewhere between $50 and $50,000. We brought that back at Razor in 2009. We created that. And again, it wasn't like we made it up. What we did is realized that people made uh, grab bags at shows or people world greatest card chase or whatever. But like the modern repack is what I take credit for which is making it a much higher stakes game, but more importantly than the, the gamble or the fun uh, value proposition was that you could open a pack and get anything. You literally could have anything come out of it. And so in a world where it seems like products get kind of run, you know, the problem is you get these same rookie cards over and over and over and over again all year long. Like by the end of the year, it's like, do I need any more Kenny Pickett rookie cards for real? You know, or pick your spot. I'm not picking on Panini and football. It's just any sport. The repack is so unique because it literally can be anything from any year. 
And the value proposition is just straight up better. Even the bad repacks, where these guys are doubling their money, which is a horrible repack. The repacks that I'm building for whatnot right now that will be coming out in January, the Fortune products, the average margin is between 11 and 14%. So we, I make 11 to 14% on a sell, depending on which price level. The higher price levels, it's 11%. The lower price levels is 14, 15%. Even at a 50%, which is like the guys that Dan the card man say are horrible ripoffs, or actually they've been worse, some of them. But but even at 50%, it, it yields better than most brand new products from Tops and Panini and Upper Deck. You open a box, you're usually going to get less than half your money back. Sometimes 10% of your money back. You know, I I was going to ask you, what's the right way to do them? And I remember watching a video. I don't remember whose whose content it was. It might have been might have been Dan the Cardman's, but was talking about uh no, it wasn't. It was John Basketball Card Guy was talking about repacks and he's on Instagram and he said that you know you talk we talk about a floor, a ceiling. And, uh, and the average price, and the average price is usually dragged up by the, the big hit. If it's a 20-pack release, there's one card worth a lot of money and then a bunch worth less than the buy-in. And the comment was that, you know, the average is going to always sound really good, but you have to actually go to the median, I believe is what he was saying, which is like the middle. The If you take all the values of 20 packs and a 20-pack product, what's the middle value? And it was a lot lower than the average, the mean average. Uh, which is what, and I thought that made perfect sense. So I wanted to ask you, what is the right way to do these things? And and is it is it in the domain that anybody can do it? There's so much, there's been a lot of talk about these for the last couple of months now. And, um, you know, oh, who cares who invented them anymore? I mean, if you're the father of the modern one, awesome. That's wonderful. But now as the as the father of the modern repack, looking looking down on it, are you happy with what, with what you sort of helped re- create or, or helped uh, birth? Are you happy that with the state of them now and how people are treating them and how they're rolling them? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh. Yeah, no, I listen, I, I don't like the way it's gone because there's no, now it's just everyone and their grandma. If you can get an empty box or a, a, if you can get a bubble envelope, they'll slap a label on it and it's a product now. You know, that's gone too far, I think. I think um, in 2009, when we made the first modern repack, the modern like hit driven repack, um, we basically... Um, we made a checklist of every card that was possible in every grade. And so it became in, untenable because when you made print runs, and that was a small print run. It was 25 pages, the checklist. Because so many cards, there was only one in the whole product. And we made a thousand boxes. Well, at the high point, best of basketball, we made 10,000 boxes of best of basketball at the high point. So the checklist literally could have been a 7,000 card checklist with all the different cards and grades, you know? So um, I think it becomes untenable. So I don't think a checklist is unnecessary. 
The key is, who are you buying these repacks from? Mm-hmm. If you're buying from a guy in a garage, you're screwed. Not that they wouldn't be honest, but you just never, will never know. Um, Let me ask you this. I, I mean, what about Arena Club? Arena Club is a, is a new company in the space. They've come out with a grading service, a marketplace, and now they're doing a repack. And I've seen some people, like, it seems to me like they've done it in a way that they're listing everything that's out there. There's a few different price points. I don't, I haven't researched it completely, but it seems to me like at least there's complete transparency with their repack product in terms of what are all the hits that are going to be eventually coming out of there. Uh, what are your thoughts on the way they've done it? I mean, listen, I, I think the problem with their, I mean, listen, I do, I do like the fact there's a list and the, and the percentages and stuff. I just think it's garbage. Most of the cards, that's the problem I have with that one. I, I just think that company from start to finish is, um, that company from start to finish is, it's just ill-conceived. Grading too late. They got in the grading business too late, tied to a celebrity. I think the idea of it, because I wanted to do a website called Jackpot Breaks, where it was like 15 cards around the perimeter, like uh, pressure lock. And it goes, boop, 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 boop. It's like, stop. And it stops on the card you get. And then that becomes replaced with something else. That's pure gambling. Um, I, I, I kind of... Um, are you a little distracted, Brian? Yeah, sorry. I just got a text from my mom. Can I take one second? I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm te- so sorry. Te- I got a text from my mom, and it's a personal thing. Give me one second. I'm so sorry. I'm. I never do this. I know. No, no. Go ahead. Te- text your mom back. Take sorry. text. Your, I'll run through some comments here, and I'll when you're ready, uh, come back to us. Tiger Jordan here says, "I love BGO and JL. Thank you, Tiger Jordan. Happy New Year to you both. Hope you have a great 2024. Thank you for making my collecting experience more enjoyable, Tiger Jordan. Thank you for your uh, loyal viewership." of sports cards live. I, I'm grateful to you for that and everybody else as well. Uh, Dan Brown says the Pete Weber card was so cool. So was the live done, but the tweets last night were definitely to get attention. You're not paying Kelsey Swift anything intentionally. I think we covered that already. I don't no, think there I'd was like, really. I'd like to talk to that. Sorry. I'm, hopefully I won't oh. be interrupted anymore. Well, well, we can always come back to it. Well, when, no, when, I want to hit, hit this real quick because. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Taylor Swift. I have offered a massive amount of money for her not to even sign an autograph of Beyond card. She can turn it down. If you look, that's why this AI is an opportunity to make things happen that could never happen. First off, I don't know if you need rights to make cards anyway, but that's a legal issue we're not going to get into right now. But if you look at the picture closely, it technically isn't Kelsey or Swift. Take a look at them. If you really zoom in on the faces, they're just not, you know, it's not them. It's yeah, not the whole. That's a whole legal area, right? What? No, what, it's, not what? Them. it's not them. It, it looks like them, but again, it's it's it, you, it's some it's form of them. parody. And again, listen, if if anyone thinks it's wrong, sue me. Guess what? In all these years and all these cards, I made cards of Ed Sheeran without him permission. I made cards of all these people. No one sues. You know why? Because they don't have any rights. They don't. They're these these cards. Cards are periodicals. They have educational and news value. The case is cartoons versus MLB. Read the case. The judge said if cards have educational and news value, that the key is, does that outweigh the publicity rights of an individual? And it does. That's why there's biography on the back. It's basically a miniaturized encyclopedia. That's what it is. Okay. And, and anyone who says cards aren't periodicals, I say, but yet you think... The interweb, the internet is a periodical. You can't touch it. It's, at least cards are made of paper and people save them and archive them and read them for information. They learn. That was the primary use of cards originally was to learn things. 
to stats and players and details. So what I say is, obviously, I've done deals with celebrities. I've done deals with thousands. So I'm happy to pay players. But if I can make something that's legal and cool to some people, maybe not Dan here, because Dan's got much more refined taste than the things I make. But like, how cool is that, right? Why not? All right, let's keep on going. Diamond Dog said, uh, anyone that's ever sold a card when the hype was high also ex- is also exploiting the market. Weird logic to have, in my opinion. We all got bills to pay. That's to an earlier comment. Here comes here comes a tough question, Brian. Grotman Cards says, Brian, do you regret any cards you made with Lee? For example, autograph deals that helped line the pockets of criminals. If not, does a line exist that you think shouldn't be crossed on a card? Um, yes. Um, I think there are lines that shouldn't be crossed. Now, over the years, I have made cuts that I made a cut that was um, FDR and Hitler in a historical framework. I do not think a card of OJ Simpson of him wearing a glove or having a bloody whatever. I like that would be inappropriate. Like celebrating a serial killer or celebrating a murderer in and of themselves because they're a murderer would not be okay with me. However, showing Andrew Garfield and Charles Guteau, who was his assassin on a card together, interesting. Um, Lee Harvey Oswald and John F. Kennedy together, interesting. Um, I think when, when you put things in historical perspective, I'm totally good with that. I think it's when we celebrate things that are disgusting on their own. Like if I had shown pictures of kids getting massacred in Palestine, That would be horrific and atrocious, and I should be drawn, quartered, and banned from the hobby for that. However, if I made a a card that showed showed the courageous fight that the Ukrainians had put on against the Russians who were oppressive against them, then I don't think in a historical perspective that's an issue. I really don't. I, I don't have a problem with that. And again, this is the problem. It's like I made a card of um. Fire Festival. The guy who I did think, the Fire Festival. I think that's what this question is. And in my answer, my answer is, same with Tiger King, who's in jail. These were some of the most watched television shows of all time. Do you know how many people have watched that Fire Festival documentary? There and on Hulu, the different ones there are? Millions and millions and millions and millions and millions. Tiger King, during COVID, was the most important single piece of broadcast anywhere. When I say important, I'm talking about everyone in the world watched it. And if you didn't have Netflix, you got it just to watch it. So like to me, chronicling the things that are the fabric of who America is, good, bad, ugly, warts and all, I don't think you're wrong doing that. I just don't think you're wrong if you do that. I don't think you're wrong. Now, again, if we celebrate atrocious things, for example, um, we did a COVID card, which we did pull because people didn't like it. It wasn't really a COVID card. It was about the vaccine. When the vaccine came out, we made a card, uh, an instant card celebrating the vaccine. Uh, it, w- it talks about the vaccine. That's all it says. But it had a picture of a COVID spore on it instead of a needle. Some people found that in bad taste. And while I don't think it was wrong, we pulled the card. because People were dying of COVID. It wasn't that we were saying we were celebrating the fact that finally people may quit dying of this thing. It was horrible. But the misunderstanding, you know, what can you do? All yes. right, let's, let's at some uh, point you got to you got to do whatever. So I, I, I don't think there's a line like that. We just got to try to use good taste. 
but let people collect what they want and don't collect what you don't want. It's that yeah, simple. You, I think you've stated your, your case and I, I, pre, I appreciate that. Okay. Listen, we can, you can respond. You And uh, let's, let's, how about this one here? Piece of the game. Always liked UBG. I'm sure you killed it with a leaf deal. However, it does not seem like the buyout was voluntary when listening to you speak. Either way, wish you the best family first. Uh, anything, anything Absolutely. about selling the company? Yeah, yeah. We had, I, we had three different suitors for the company including one one suitor that everybody knows, a very famous entity in the industry. And I took the easiest deal because to me, a couple of things, and just being honest, the first one is due diligence is a tricky thing without going into great detail. If you show competitors or people who have interest in other parts of the industry, your books, they can get a lot of information and then not buy the company. And it can take months and months and months and years. It can take a year or two to get a deal closed. I think we can all agree that after 2022, if you were selling a business, it was time to sell it after 2022. That was the record year for manufacturers. Card values peaked in 21. Manufacturers made the most money ever in 22. That's when the money was made. So timing was critical. And I took the best deal I could get that had the fastest close with the best probability of success. And the money was more money than I can ever spend. I'm just being honest. I can live on the interest at a rate at a, at a higher lifestyle than I've ever lived in my whole life and never touched the money. So like it was a, it was a very nice deal. Now I think what piece of the game refers to is when I say there are some people there that I'm probably not close with anymore. You know, the reality is I'm not even bitter about it. I was at first a little bit because I was like, man, I thought everyone loved me because they loved me, not just because I was the boss or because I was whoever, but it doesn't matter. You know what? I don't love every person I've ever met either. You know, piece of the game. He, hey, I don't think he really likes me that much. He used to like me. I, th I think he quit liking me for something, but, but again, he's a good good and he had an incredible national booth. I loved his national booth a couple of years ago, last year, year before, two year before last. He had an incredible booth. Um, but no, I just think at the end of the day, I don't really have any bitterness. I'm happy I got the money and all that stuff. The only thing I'm sad about is that I think I would have liked to have been like when I announced I was selling it, I, I guess I thought people should throw me a party. Like it'd be like, you know, thanks for all you did for the hobby or something. No one really gives a shit and it's fine. But, but like, I, I felt like I should get some kind of like a watch or something. Like, even though I sold, I should get a watch saying thanks for your many, many years of service, but maybe not. Maybe well, you don't get that, but I guess what? I look at the scoreboard. I came out okay. I think I can go buy. I can go buy a hundred watches. That's fine. There you go. There, you, <laughs> there you go. All right, let's keep on rolling. We got Vegas Puck in the in the chat. Chris Barr, Happy New Year to you. Another buddy. super talented guy. Like this is the thing. Guys like him are why we were able to do something because I don't know how he got away from Panini. Like this is a miracle. We built a team. Greg Cohn from Upper Deck. You know, Chris from Panini. We built a great team. Kevin Giraud from Panini. Jim Kohler from Donner's. Like, we built an incredible team that other people just didn't see the value in. Oh, man, this what a great ad. Chris, great to see you here. You are one of the people I'm so thankful. And Chris is a great guy. We get along great. Yeah. You know, I, and he's one of the guys I still stay in touch with. So I'm very happy that he's here. I've I've known him since way before way before he worked at Leaf before he worked at Panini oh, from yeah. uh, the the early two thousands. You're lucky a, to have him, no he's, doubt. He's, he's, a, have he's a hobby lifer, yeah, good good dude, no doubt about it. Diamond Dog says negativity is cheap and easy. Sad truth that the social media promotes clickbait sells. No clue what it's selling, but fools stay 
buying it. D Sup said, Brian, thank you for coming on, being open. Where do you see the hobby in five, 10, and further years from now, Brian? I think I'm a little concerned. I mean, just being honest, I'm a little concerned that what's going on with some of the um, consolidation slash licensing things slash I'm a little concerned about it. Um, I'm not, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there's obviously a bunch of lawsuits. I think a new one was just filed yesterday, a class action suit by a consumer against fanatics, the NFL, all the teams, everything saying that it was a, you know, an anti-competitive behavior designed to monopolize and raise prices in the football card category. And listen, I mean, I can't even argue. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Very interesting case. I think it is actually a better argument than the Panini case even. But um, but again, I, I'm not worrying about that. And again, unfortunately, you know, I, I'm, I am considering opportunities that could have me on any side of the ball. So I guess I don't, I want to, I want to give an honest opinion without like beating anyone up because I could end up on any team just mm-hmm. as a, you never know, just for fun. But, um, but with that being said, I just, it's, that's my biggest concern. And that's one of the reasons I would consider doing light consulting for an existing company in the business is to see if I can have a positive impact either on an existing behemoth who's getting bigger and bigger and bigger or a former behemoth that's going to redefine itself. And I think we'll be very successful in doing that. I could, I could see myself helping a company like one of those, but I mean, I'm, I'm today I'm retired. But All right, January, let's... January 1st is just two days away. You never know. <laughs> but today I'm retired and I'm never going to work full time ever again. I can tell you that. Never again. I'll never work full time again. If I work 15, 20 hours a week, that will be a lot. And I'll let's do keep on rolling. Ultimate do... pastime. Mark, my friend, Mark Neiman says, great, great interview. Time. Happy New Year to you. Mark, good to see you, buddy. As always, Collection SML. Brian did a great job with Leaf. Can't wait to see his future projects very nice michael ham how's how's it going buddy says bg what was the biggest thing holding back innovation of card design i love the reimagined and hope it continues but i feel technology is not being explored due to cost can you speak to innovation in cards brian i mean again i think i think using ai tools to make things happen on cards that never happened in real life is pretty amazing i think um in terms of technology and product, like what else can we do? Like, what else are we going to print cards on? You know, like we, we can only do so much from a technology standpoint. And it gets even worse when you consider the impact of grading and things like that. It actually gets much, much worse because we can't really get crazy creative with what we print and manufacture because if it doesn't grade nines or tens, people will think the product's horrible and worthless. So, like, there's a lot of pieces moving here. But I think I love Reimagine. That was one of the things that, um, I worked with one of the guys in the office on it. And so that's one of the items I think my staff wasn't really a big fan of. I don't think they like, which is the stuff I'm looking at now, the stuff I'm looking at doing. I think a lot of people just didn't like it internally. And I think the reason is because they were like, first off, sometimes it doesn't look as much like the player as you want it to, you know, because again, it's AI, it's going to do some stuff, you know? Um, You know, so with that being said, it's, uh, we can't really, I think there's only so much you can do from a technology standpoint. What I love about what Leaf is doing is like Greg is so creative with um, Greg is so creative with like concepts and designs and themes. And like, that's where I think we have to continue getting crazy as themes and things because like Greg has done so good with like a day in history 
and need a dual autograph of like this classic showdown that people don't even remember. Like, and it takes an expert historian like him to really know these things and to be able to pinpoint it. But like, I think that's cool. And I, I think that's the thing. I think we need to keep pushing the envelope. I think, um, I think there's a lot of reasons why we don't do different stuff. Cause again, anytime we try something out of the box, like you see in chat, half the people think it's terrible. Half the people think it's genius. So like, why would you do something polarizing when you know making a Chrome card works? Yeah. Making a Chrome card works. Showing pictures instead of crazy artwork generated by computers works. Why take chances? That's why I'm going to take chances if I do so. If I continue to go down this road of doing things myself, I'll do things that I just, people don't have to buy them. They can say they hate them. Don't buy them. Thanks. I'll just keep them. You know, or you buy them out and then you're like, Brian's a genius. Super. Thanks. Nothing changes for me. It doesn't matter. You know, companies can't operate that way. They have to they have to hit home runs consistently or at least base hits consistently. If they don't hit 700, they're out of the league. You know, I'm in a great position. If I bat 100, I only I can cut myself. I'm like the Jerry Jones of my own team. You know, so I can bat 100 and I won't I won't be out of the starting lineup. Right. All right, let's keep going. Ryan Hilberth says, uh, "BG, it's been awesome. It's been awesome working with Brian Gray." Uh, and becoming friends. He has supported us to the next level for a decade. I appreciate your friendship and what's to come next. So obviously a, uh, an employee of Leaf? No, no, no. He was just a, he, he's a game use bat guy. He's a specialist. Oh. Use bats. Okay. So I, I always try to like talk to people and help create a positive um, and create a positive kind of like exchange with people, even if I didn't do business with them, because sometimes you can learn things from each other or people ask me for advice. And sometimes I'd ask for people for advice because I'm not perfect, you know? All right, next up, next up. Uh, Diamond Dog says, hey, don't forget to hit that bu- that like button for Jay Lee. Respect for the real questions. No layups. So far, this is a good chat. Thank you. Diamond Dog, appreciate that. Goes on to say, if I was rich, I'd collect pinball machines. Attack from Mars is an all-time favorite. Yeah, pinball machines are cool. Mark from Ultimate Pastime just says, buy what you like. And that is trademarked, everybody. Buy what you like. Joe Perot says, Brian looks around corners. Happy holidays, everyone. That was in, in reference to your comment earlier, Brian, about trying to kind of outsmart people and know what's coming. Jeff Hart, good evening to you. Justin Bode wants to know, is Brian buying or investing in any hockey cards right now? Absolutely not. Like right now, right now, I am putting... And How again, dare you, Brian? How I know, dare you? Parts. You're not going to like the rest of this answer any better. You're going to like that one. At this particular moment, I would be investing in... I am not buying any sports cards for myself. I don't think we're at the point where it's time to start pouring money in as an investment again, right? This minute you can make money speculating short-term, but like having a long-term vision, there will be a better entry point. But again, this comes from the guy that thinks the stock market is massively overpriced, that we're going to have a massive correction, 20, 30% at some point that the crap's going to hit the fan. So I think we've dodged the crap hitting the fan with all this economic stuff. And if it gets worse, you know, then I think cards will also come down with it. I don't think we're going to retest 2017 numbers, but like to me, why buy PSA 10 Jordans at 150,000? Like the card was 30,000 four years ago. It got up to fake sales at 700, but really like 400, whatever. Like I see no reason why that card can't be 75, 80, 70, 60,000. I'm not buying it anyway, but like 51 Bowman Mantles. I think they can come down 20, 30% from here. That's probably what I'd buy next. I, my next big buy in sports cards will probably be like a 51 Bowman Mantle high grade because that's the real rookie card. 
and that's a classic card, underappreciated. It has it checks every box except that it's not 52 tops. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I love that card. Chris C here says, I'll avoid repacks. You never get a complete list of all cards or odds. I think that's something that's going to be rectified by the serious players uh in due course here i, I feel like I, it has I, don't, I don't think they will i don't think they will and here's why because most repack cards out there and i'm not speaking to mine or anyone else's in particular but like most of them are living well but that's the problem i think that's the problem right there is that they they have to i think for that to work brian they have to all be sold and opened like at the same time well, no but here's the thing they're not advertising a particular hit what they do like i'm watching backyard i, I was watching backyard before i came on and they basically had a product called Nebula or something. And like in every case, you're guaranteed the worst card is $500. But in every case, there's a hit that is guaranteed to be three to 10000 They tell you that. In every case. So it can be living if it delivers on its promise to have one card that's three to 10000 and every other card is 500 or more. What, when it's not okay is when they say the floor is twenty. And the ceiling or the floor is 200 and the ceiling's 4,000. They don't give you any indication of the average. They don't tell you how many packs are made. They tell you nothing. And they make that pack forever. Because then they really could be putting one $400 card in, a one $4,000 card in, every other card be 200. And then once the $4,000 card get hits, they keep making $200 packs. Like that's a problem. That's, that's when this thing doesn't work. But if you hold true to the idea that it's like a slot machine, the slot machine doesn't give you a full checklist of every potential payout. It may give you like all the different things you can hit, but like it doesn't tell you like in a bonus game, like when you play a uh, Cleopatra where you get all these things and it plays all these crazy spins, you can win $3,842. It doesn't tell you you're going to hit 3842 as one of the options. It just says that if you hit a bonus game, it can be anywhere from 100 credits to 100,000 credits. So like, it's more, and again, I hate to keep giving gambling examples, but that's how we, if we're going to look at value, that becomes a big part of it. Otherwise, we'd look at the pictures and say, who cares what the return is? The cards are all pretty. You know, we care about the value, right? We're spending money on it. So to me, I think the key with a living repack is that the value the customer gets is obvious when the customer sees 20, 30, 40 packs open or 200 packs open. Because again, like the repacks I'm making for a fortune, the worst the worst yield is 30%. The worst card in a product is 30%. So an $888 repack, which I'm making, is a $300 floor. The ceiling is 12000 That's what it is. Now I'm making a finite number of packs. But again, the problem is when you put out a checklist, to me, it takes away some of the mystery of what you can hit. The problem is there's so many unscrupulous people. Some of them probably need checklists. We found at Leaf, people love the mystery of it. And when you're dealing with a third party that's honest and trustworthy, that's different. And so we like to think that like when you bought a Leaf repack, the fact that we were a third party company, that makes a difference. It does make a difference versus on whatnot when you go find Joe's Card Shack. I hope there's no business name that. And he makes the Joe's Card Shack repack. And he's opening it. He knows what's in every box he puts on the screen. Like, that's a problem. So, like, I think it's not as simple as, like, Dan the Cardman will pin it. But it's also definitely a place in the hobby where shadiness can absolutely happen. So much so that I've actually started compiling numbers from various repacks that I've seen on whatnot and stuff. 
Like I'm keeping track of the values of cards coming out of multiple different kinds of repacks so that someday when I do a breaking news story, I'm going to say this repack that everyone's buying. I watched 1,335 packs. I've chronicled 1,335 packs, and here's what I found. They promised the floor was 200. 18% of cards were $120 or less. 42% of the cards came in this way, and so that's what's interesting. But, you know, I think the repacks, I understand avoiding them, but honestly, go buy a high-end sports card product that's brand new release and try your luck. You're going to wish you had bought a repack, unfortunately. And I think repacks are critical to the car. Plus, it also recycles. There's so many benefits to the hobby. It creates liquidity that's insane. Let's okay. Let's switch it up. Let's switch it up for a second. Something just popped into my mind. So, Fanatics has recently partnered with Dude Perfect to reach a whole new demographic of possible hobbyists, collectors. I think their demographic are are kids. And the critique, or the criticism of that particular partnership that I've seen talked about in hobby content circles is that it is promoting gambling to to kids because group breaking is in essence a form of gambling um that's what i've that's what i've heard what are your thoughts brian Do, is you know group breaking you know we're talking about repacks a lot as if it's the next if it's the next group raping group breaking kind of phenomenon uh, but group breaking is huge there are there are platforms you've mentioned them that are that are in existence just to accommodate and facilitate group breaking uh in its various forms do you believe that group breaking is gambling first of all and number two do you believe that by fanatics partnering with this dude perfect uh social media uh group of of people that they are now promoting gambling to children i would say that conceptually a trading card product conceptually today is more gambling than the process of doing it through group breaks. Now it depends how you do this. I see group breaks as um, a timeshare. Like it's basically a partnership buying a product. PYT is obviously the cleanest. The more wheels and things that come into play, like there's a reason why, like, at the carnival, they have wheels and stuff. Like, like you know, it becomes the more carnival it becomes, the more carnival it is. You know, so I think that's an issue that, you know, is it gambling? I think there's probably an argument that it is legally, technically. But then again, I would argue that so many other things are also. The McDonald's Monopoly game, where they made you buy French fries to get these game pieces that could win this. That's thinly veiled gambling. You know, there's uh, bounties put on cards that are backed by uh, people with interest in the business. You know, that is that gambling when you say, we'll pay it, someone will pay half a million for that Brady. That's probably subsidized or something by someone, you know? So it's like, I don't think we can worry about that. I think we have to be most concerned about like blatant gambling. Like pick a number one through three, you get nothing unless you hit the number right. You know, like that's gambling. Like, I think the minutiae of it, someday there'll be a lawsuit and someone will figure it out. Paul Lesko has been waiting for a decade for it to see if it'll ever happen. It may not. But I think at the end of the day, I I like to think we've got a hobby here. It, it feels less like it than when I started back in 1988, 87. It felt like more of a hobby back then. It doesn't feel as much like that now. I, I try to convince myself that it's an investment 
uh, it's almost like an investment bank, but I know better. It's it's just one of those things we have to realize that the products are too expensive. And again, this goes back to what I said earlier. The products are too expensive in many cases. You know, the what's coming out doesn't yield the value because the single card demand is not as high as the wax demand. It's just a lot of pieces that are very hard. But with that being said, it's still an incredible business, hobby, whatever it is to you. It's still an incredible place. And I think you get entertainment out of it, which is why I don't, I ultimately am not going to come down on the gambling side because I think you're buying the entertainment. Any plus or minus in value is a, is a sub benefit. I really think that there's a, to some extent, that's the case. Yeah. You can go buy, you can go buy a boat and nine times out of 10, you're going to lose your butt on that boat. The happiest days in a boat owner's life are the day they buy it and the day they sell it. Yeah. Two happiest days of their life. Is it gambling to see if you buy a boat and it goes up in value? Well, no, you got enjoyment out of it. We need to maybe think about this whole thing as an entertainment source. Are you going on these online breakers, backyard or bleacher or whoever, because you want to be entertained? Or are you doing it to pay the rent this month? Or are you doing it to hit the jackpot? For a lot of people, it really is just entertainment. And they can go to a club and watch people dance, or they can do this, or they can go watch a football game. But at the end of the day, you know, we live in a country where it's, it's shocking that gambling is not even legal in every state. It's pretty shocking. You know, Texas will probably never have gambling, but it's just that's become part of the culture. And I don't think cards are gambling in the sense that going on DraftKings is gambling now. Yeah. Or the lottery or horses or whatever. No, I don't think it's the same thing at all. I, th I think you're more splitting, but I think the bigger issues with cards generally not group breakers. Diamond Dog cheers. Look, Diamond Dog says spot on with that comment, Brian. It's entertainment, not investing. I think that that applies to the opening of product aspect of the hobby. But there's so much more to this hobby than just repacks and group breaks and opening boxes at your LCS. There's there's that only speaks to the the, the part of the hobby that has just come out. The most recent year worth of product. We've got 140 years of product to go back into. If anyone out there is not happy with the way the hobby is today, you know, how, how the, how the manufacturers are, are doing it, how the distributors are doing it, how the LCS is the breakers, three packers. Um, you can just go buy singles. If you want. you can go to card shows, you can go to online marketplaces and just buy singles and still get your fix. I, I would think. Okay, Brian, I want to do a couple comments here. Brett S from Adelaide, Australia. Welcome mm -hmm. to the show. Lash wine. Good to see you, buddy. Rip and wax Chris in the house. Happy new year. To you, we got Rage in the house, everybody. Rage is in the house. Good evening, Rage. Diamond Dog is calling me the Howard Stern of the hobby. I'll take that, Diamond Dog. Thank you very much. Irving Manera in the house. What's going on, Irving? Best Joe mustache Perot. in the hobby, Manera. Best, Best mustache, mustache in the hobby. hobby. Irving, uh, sorry, Joe Perot says the term liquidity has been brought up as of late. Does Mr. Gray have any thoughts on liquidity in the industry slash hobby? First off, there's a reason why if you look at nosebleed cards, like these cards Ken Golden was selling for the last two years, that's where the most pain is happening right now. 